This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. The Book of Acts is Volume Two of a story that started with the Gospel of Luke. And Luke continues his Gospel with Volume 2, talking about the new church that was established. Before then, there was no such thing as the church, but Jesus said, I'm going to, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Jesus never said the gates of hell wouldn't try to stand against it. He said they wouldn't succeed in it. So the church needs to know what their weapons are and what it means to look like a church. And even though it's 2021, I firmly believe that the 2021 Church of Jesus Christ needs to take a hard look at the early church so that it can see what a normal church looks like. That includes Oasis City Church. That we need to be familiar with what a normal church looks like. A normal church and the church of Jesus is established here in the book of Acts. And of course, the famous chapter uh, is Acts chapter 2. And there could be a dozen sermons just on Acts chapter 2 alone. And we're going to skim through some of it. But, but I want to, us to recognize something that before the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, According to the scripture, you know, people are waiting together. Jesus assigned them. He said, in a few days, I'm going to come with my gift. And, and he, he made it clear that they needed to be together in prayer. And so we have the church of Jesus together in prayer. And they're ready to receive something. But they don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But Jesus gave them a hint. He used the word power. Say power. power. So this is the Greek word. Jesus didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. But the Greek word power there, you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the word dunamis, which is the word dynamite. So the question for us today is how much Holy Spirit dynamite do we really have? Like take an inventory right now of your life spiritually and if I said, grade your dynamite level from my 1 to 10, where are you? It's not the Holy Spirit's fault that you're a 4. He, he's giving out his power, his dunamis power. And so even today with the prophetic word, this is part of that receiving power. And if you don't have it, this is a great moment. You're in the right spot. If you're watching online and you don't have it, that's fine because you're in the, the right moment to receive a baptism of power from the Holy Spirit. And so, but before, before it happens, something critical, oftentimes overlooked, um, had to take place in order for God to flow through apostolic alignment. The 12 apostles needed to be restored because at this very moment, there was only 11 of them because Judas had committed suicide. So after betraying Jesus, he goes off. There's 11 disciples. God cannot send his Holy Spirit and establish his church unless his proper order is established. So he needed 12. 12 in the scripture is the number of government. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Why God chooses to do this is up to him. But, but there were 12 apostles representing the number of government. God was moving in the earth through the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. But there are only 11. 
And Jesus said, wait, I'm coming in power. But something has to happen first. So they need to restore the 12. And so uh, Peter decides that he needs to give criteria to who can be the 12th. It wasn't like, the, you know, you may or may not know the story, but they cast lots, which this was a very common thing at this moment. And they believe whoever the lot fell upon was God's chosen person. But this was not just a crapshoot in Vegas. There were certain criteria that needed to take place. And the Bible tells us at the end of chapter 1 that there, it needed to be a man that was there from the baptism of Jesus all the way through his resurrection three and a half years later and never missed the Sunday. It had to be a faithful person who was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way through the resurrection, witnessed it all, never left, never stayed homesick, uh, was always there, witnessed the miracles, were with um, the apostles, the disciples all throughout. And they could only, they narrowed this criteria, narrowed it down to two people. Now we know there's 120 that was in prayer and these two people were in the upper room. They had it, they had it left yet. There were 500 that witnessed the ascension of Jesus. Out of all that, the criteria was left to two people. And after prayer, the lot fell to Matthias. He becomes the 12. And now Acts chapter 2 can start. There needed to be apostolic alignment in order for the spirit of God to flow in his church. He wanted it from day one. We never hear about Matthias ever again. We never hear about justice. That's the other guy ever again. We don't hear about these two, but they were critical pieces. Charisma magazine doesn't have to tell your story in order for you to be effective in the kingdom of God. You don't have to, you don't have to have all these followers and all this stuff. I mean, if you're after followers, so oftentimes you're missing what the following of Jesus you don't have to be social media famous to be in apostolic alignment and allow the Spirit of God to flow through you. You never hear about these guys again, but they were faithful people. Yes. So because alignment comes, now chapter 2 can begin. It's not, I mean, we have chapters here for us to read uh, in English, but remember there were no chapters in this time. It was a continual story. So after the 12 are restored, we pick up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, what day? Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Where were they? Together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven, where did it come from? A sound like a mighty rushing wind. Was it a mighty rushing wind? It was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Um, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It just didn't fill the room. It filled the entire house where they were. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, how many? filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is very unique. This hasn't happened before. They were all affected by it equally yet differently. And they all began to do something. They began to speak in other tongues, in other languages, but as the Spirit gave them utterance, not from their own intellect. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak his own language. Here's this word, sound again. In the room, the sound of the wind came in and tongues appeared and they started, um, you know, speaking in tongues. But then all the people in the city that were there, suddenly they heard a sound. And they gathered. What sound did they hear? Well, they heard two sounds. I believe they still heard the wind and they heard the tongues. So they gathered. Now, who were these people? Uh, the, the following verses tell you all. You could even put them uh, on the screen like verse, uh, you know, starting with verse 7. Well, let's just look at verse 7. Um, and they were amazed and astonished saying, are we not... Um, 
all these who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then if you look at 9, uh, 10, 11, all the way down to 13, you see uh, all the different languages that there were there. There was like 13, 14 different people. Now, why were they here? These are all Jews of other nationalities. But because it's Pentecost, that means the Passover had just happened, and they are, they are mandated to come to Jerusalem a few times a year, and this was one of them. So Jews from all over, even Jews who did not, um, who spoke different languages, all show up. And they have this experience together, and they're witnessing, and they're bewildered. They don't know what's happening. They're astonished, and they're gathered by a sound. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? They're looking at one another. What does this mean? What's going on here? What, did you hear the sound? I hear the sound. Do you hear that language? That's my language. Well, they're speaking your language. And others mocking them. So there's ones who are astonished, bewildered, but yet they're interested. But then there's a whole other group of people that are mocking the move of the Holy Spirit. There will always be mockers. Haters gonna... They... And here's what the mockers said. They are filled with new wine. They're drunk, in other words. Verse 14. Verse 14 is the first sermon preached in the New Testament church. And Peter's given the mandate to preach this sermon under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And it, it started by defending the move of God, even though he didn't understand it. And the Bible says, but Peter standing with the 11. So all of a sudden now we have all these people, the 120 in the upper room. They're all being affected by the Holy Spirit. They're all outside now. And all these other Jews are coming together. There's a phenomenon happening. But the 11 uh, had to be with Peter in order for this to be effective. In other words, the apostolic government had to be set. 12 of them are together. Peter happens to be the leader among equals. And he's the one who Jesus said upon the this rock, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. This is not just about elevating one man, but one man had to do something. All 12 couldn't preach at the same time. Somebody had to be the preacher. And it came upon Peter, and the first sermon of the whole church of Jesus Christ began to be preached. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. When it says lifted up his voice, that means he got loud. There was no microphone. Thousands of people are hearing him. Men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Day start at 6 a.m. That means it's 9 a.m. They're not drunk. It's 9 in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now he begins to quote the prophet Joel. So how did he do that? Did he have the book of Joel just handy? He's under the unction, the power of the Holy Spirit, and Peter knows the word. It's important to know the word so that you can say, I see God doing this just like he spoke that he said he would. Even though Peter doesn't know about the sound, even though Peter doesn't understand what speaking in tongues is, especially in another language, and we have a prayer language of, of, of being able to pray in tongues, and this is a form of that. It's a different level of tongues where you're actually praying in an unknown language that somebody else knows that you don't know. Peter doesn't know about that, but he knows in the scripture where it comes from. And Peter says, oh, this is just like Joel said, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Say those words with me, pour out, ready? Pour out my spirit on all flesh. One more time. Pour out my spirit on all flesh. And here's what's going to happen when the spirit is 
poured out. When there's an outpouring of the Spirit, these are the things that happen. They still happen today in the New Testament church, just like the prophet Joel declared. We are still in these last days. Here's what happens. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will, say it again, pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. This is an indicator. It's not the only indicator, but this is an indicator of God's spirit being poured out. So when we're in a worship service a moment ago and we are crying out to the Lord and we're asking for him to pour out his spirit, we're telling him how great he is. Because if you're born again, you have the spirit of God. You don't have any less of the spirit of God as somebody else. We all have the Holy Spirit. This is what the regenerated life is. You have the Holy Spirit when you get saved. But you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are two separate occasions. I'm going to need more up here, please. Uh, Two separate occasions. But once you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you keep this baptism uh, with you as you go out. And you can do the the dynamite things. Your dynamite level just increase because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the indicators is I'm going to pour out my spirit. And when he does, it's not a one-time thing. God's continuing to pour out his spirit. Even this year, God is looking for people who are ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All he's looking for is a group of people united together, not divided. Because the spirit comes and unites, he does not divide. But because the church of Jesus, the modern church, is very focused on what we disagree about. So division comes in even our local church. We, and we can be united about, you know, some, some of the things about the scripture, but we're divided on social issues and political issues. And so God's looking for unified people. And when he comes, he outpours himself. And he'll do it again and again. He'll do it year after year. It's not a one-time outpouring. It's a continual outpouring. And here's what it looks like. Everybody gets to receive it. Not just the professional church ministers. Not just the professional worship people, the professional lighting people, uh, the professional, uh, you know, we make the building look all pretty and all this stuff. No, everybody, everybody gets it, not just the professional Christians. And it looks like young and old, rich and poor, male and female, all getting it together, slave and free. Nobody's left out. Children aren't left out. Old people aren't left out. Darker people aren't left out. Lighter people aren't left out. Male and female, slave and free, everybody gets the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter continues on, we don't have time to go there, in Joel's sermon. And he's saying, this is what happens. These guys aren't drunk. Now, let's just go back and talk about how important this is. There's apostolic alignment. The 12 are restored. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And and it's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. This came around on the calendar every year. There's no shock about this. Now, this day in particular, this particular Pentecost Sunday is now referred to as the birth of the church because the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Church didn't exist in the Old Testament. This is a new word that Jesus made up. The ecclesia, the following, his people, his people coming together, small or large, the church is being birthed. This Pentecost is different than every other Pentecost. It's the 50th day. The child, these Jews, these are all Jews, they understand what Pentecost is. See, they understand Passover. They understand the story of the Exodus and Moses leading people through the Red Sea. And where did they end up? They ended up at Mount Sinai. And then what happened? Moses ascended up a mountain. And in the mountain, he has an experience with God and God gives him the law. And Moses comes down the mountain at this Pentecost with the law. But what happened now is the same yet different. It's Jesus has ascended into heaven and they watched him 
and now he's coming down with his spirit and pouring it out everywhere. Not with a rule of, of list of rules, but with an experience that the whole world can now have. And they're supposed to take it and be witnesses in, in this area, this area, and then to the ends of the earth. Pentecost is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's also the Feast of the Harvest. The Feast of the Harvest. So, so two things are happening here. The Feast of the Harvest is this. It's a first fruits feast. <laughs> Say that three times fast. It's a first fruits feast. What they do is they get their sheave of wheat and they are all, every one of them from all of the nations, all the Jews coming together and they're bringing their first fruit harvest into the temple. But what they don't know is God's bringing his harvest through his Holy Spirit. So they're all together, and then it says that they have this sound. We talked about the sound we were just experiencing a few moments ago. And if you're watching online right now, uh, you, you may or may not have got that part. But, but we were experiencing a sound in the room, a roaring sound. Sometimes, you know, it's not always about the roar, but other times it is. And when God says something, we move with the Holy Spirit in obedience. So there was a sound taking place. God likes sounds. So there's a sound like a wind, like a tornado. People understood, you know what wind sounds like, a windstorm. They understand sandstorms in the Middle East. They know what the power of wind is. But it, whether or not they felt wind, they heard the sound and it was everywhere. And then all of a sudden, now people, it's easy to skip and see that these tongues of fire appeared on their heads. But let me tell you about a, about a Jewish culture. This is not just a crazy phenomenon. The Jews who understood the Passover understood that God spoke through fire because he led Israel with a cloud by day and a fire by night. God showed up with a flame of fire that they could see with their eyes and he would lead them to where they needed to go. So while this is a crazy um, experience, this is not so far-fetched. And here's how I interpret this. This is the Bill Thumalaris version. I think some other scholars agree on this one. But, but when I read the text, I, I, I go to, I don't just jump to individual fires. What I look at it is this. Everybody's in a room together and all of a sudden a pillar of fire appears. They know it's God. They know the story. This pillar of fire though looks different. It looks like a tongue. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it was like six feet tall, three feet tall. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was in midair, on the ground. I'm not sure, but it appeared. Now picture this. They all see the fire. They know God's doing something. They hear the wind. They see the fire. This has to be God. What's he about to do? And then this one tongue of fire, now these little tongues start dividing off of it, jumping off of it and landing on everybody's head. So now there's the fire in the room, and now it's being dispersed, and, and everybody gets the experience. Because, see, there's a difference in what God's saying. At one time, I did this, and I used the prophet, and I used the pastor, and I used the, uh, uh, a minister, and you followed them. I used the king, and I spoke to them, and everybody listened. But now the church is everybody gets the same amount. Everybody's included. So I'm showing up to tell you I'm about to do something and now everybody gets it. So this phenomenon is now they go out, the sound gathers all the Jews together, these devout people, by the way. There are some mockers. And they hear this own language thing. Now in that day, there was a universal second language. It was Greek. And it had been that way for a few hundred years since Alexander the Great. The Greeks are great people. They just are great people. So it would be interesting if, if the 11 went out and they started preaching or if Peter started preaching in Greek, everybody would have heard it. But the interesting thing is they all spoke Greek as a second language, not their primary language, just like many in the world today have English as a second language. But this phenomenon is something totally different because these little tongues of fire are visible and these people are now preaching 
the mighty works of God through a language they don't understand, but the listener does. So all of these dialects are now receiving the word of God. This is how the Holy Spirit, the wisest person in the universe, the omniscient God who knows everything, this is how the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son communicated. This is how God is going to show up and start a church. People were astonished, bewildered, amazed. There was nothing like this before. But Peter knows this is God's spirit being poured out on everyone. This is what Joel prophesied. And the mocker said, they got to be drunk. Now, why would they have said that? I mean, if the Holy Spirit showed up, he could have put everybody in a tuxedo. So they all walk out, wow, where'd those clothes come from? This has to be God. He could have showed up and, uh, with a giant symphony. He could have showed up with everybody singing a chorus that they'd never heard before. And all of a sudden there's this great, he could have showed up, made everybody laugh, everybody cry. I'm not sure. But he shows up where the mockers are going to think they're drunk. That doesn't seem very impressive to me. But here's another thing. Everybody knew Greek as their second language. And everybody knew what a drunk person looked like. It's a universal language. No matter what country you're in or what age you are, you go anywhere, you recognize a drunk person. You'll know that person, they've had too much. You'll see it by the way they walk, by the way they flirt their words, by the way they talk, by their mannerisms. You understand drunk people. Why in the world would God choose to embarrass himself with a bunch of drunk-looking people to say that I'm establishing my church. It's the same reason that he says that God will use the foolish things to confound the wise. And when we say, I would rather be a fool for Christ, this is saying, God, however you want to use me, however you want to pour out, I'm going to say yes, and I'm not going to tell you how to do it. So if the Lord says roar, I'm going to roar, even though my personality says I'm an introvert, I'm quiet, and I'm this. Woo! Well, where am I? Oh, goes on. Here's a good quote here by N.T. Wright. He says, part of the challenge of this passage is the question, have our churches today got enough energy, enough spirit-driven new life to make onlookers pass any comment at all? Has anything happened which might make people think that we were drunk? If not, is it because the spirit is simply doing something else or because we have so successfully quenched the spirit that there's actually nothing happening at all? Have we become so professional at church? We're so good at church. And we just try to make Jesus look so good. You know, we we try to make Jesus, you know, I remember being told, you know, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything or do anything to embarrass you. He's a gentleman. And when he comes, he comes, you know, the gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. He's just going to come and he's going to speak to you. My experience with the move of the Holy Spirit is like sticking my finger into a light socket. There's no gentleman thing about it. My body shakes. I say words that don't make sense. I cry. I snot. My, my, my nose starts running. I start moaning and groaning. I mean, this is just my experience. There's electricity, there's a wind, there's a tornado. I mean, imagine, imagine this sound and fire. These are untamable forces. Can't tame fire. You just try to control it with valve, you know, um, uh, what are those, you know, twisted on the stove. But guess what happens when it's outside? Just ask those in Northern California. 
You do everything you can to try to stop it. And this is how God wants his church to look. I don't know why I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have tried to get more followers maybe, impress more people. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody gets in on it. And it might look weird. And you may have people mocking you. But do you want to be in? Or do you want to be left out? Are we okay with not having tidy, professional, great church? I mean, I like the conveniences we have. I like air conditioning. They didn't have it then. I like indoor plumbing. I love it. I like the sound. I like having a microphone. I like all these things. There's nothing wrong with it. I like to have carpet. (laughs) We don't really have it here, but maybe one day. I like all this stuff, but have we gotten so professional at trying to make Jesus look good that we are missing the very move of God? And we're waiting on God for an outpouring. And yes, we absolutely need to wait on God for an outpouring. But we can't think that he's going to just do it one day and we don't have any responsibility in it. This is why this chapter is very important for us. And I'm going to hit some elements of what every church has to look like. And if you don't have these elements to it, then I'm, going to, I'm challenged with the fact that I don't think there's going to be a move of God. Verse 32. I love this. God, this is still Peter preaching. He had a great sermon. First time, man. Talk about hitting, you know, a homer in your first at bat. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. You heard about the witness last week, the power of the witness. And he exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand and the Father, as he had promised gave him the Holy Spirit to do what? Pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Let me tell you, when there's an outpouring, you can see it and you can hear it. There is something to see and there is a sound in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be the same sound as it was 2,000 years ago or last year because here's the problem with revival. There is a problem with revival. The next move of God, the biggest Um, the biggest enemy to the next move of God is the previous move of God. Because it might not sound like it did before. It might not look like it did before. So we criticize and say, that can't be the Holy Spirit. Because the church hasn't matured enough to say, that's got to be God. And I'm not sure about it, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch and I'm going to listen and I'm going to experience it before I start mocking it. When God says, let's sing more, I'm going to sing more. And when he says, let's pray more, I'm going to pray more. And when God says, shout, I'm going to shout. And he says, dance, I'm going to dance. Clap your hands, I'm going to clap my hands. Come to the altar, I'm going to come to the altar. Verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him, And to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? At this climax of a sermon, the word pierced the hearts of people. What do we do? Peter replied, under the unction of the Holy Spirit. This amazing scripture here that that our church and all the churches of Jesus are built upon. Each of you must repent of your sin, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. That's how you can tell it was a revival service. It says a long time. Strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized. They were obedient. They didn't wait. They said, I'll do it now. They repented. They were baptized. Added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. And he still preached a long time. And all these things are happening.
And see, here's the thing. This is the key that Peter had right here. He says, this promise is to you, to your children. It wasn't just to the Jews. Remember, Peter's the apostle to the Jews. Uh, We call him that. And we call Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's not an apostle yet at this point. But there was not going to be, Paul could not be an apostle to the Gentiles unless Peter unlocked it with his key. Because Peter prophesies right here. It's not just for you and your children, but it's for everybody, all the nations. Peter's prophesying about Gentiles whom he doesn't even like. Because the key to the kingdom of God had to be voiced through this apostle so that it then could branch out and go everywhere. There's a divine order to things. You learn later Peter has a challenge with Gentiles. God has to come to him and set him straight. In the most humorous way. Even your prejudice has to come under the authority of Jesus in revival. You can't have revival and be prejudiced, prejudging people or things. How? To those that were added to the church, 3,000 in all. Remember, like the key verse to this whole. This whole series is, is Acts 1.8. It's what we will continue to refer to. That you will receive power. You will see dynamite. This dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Let me tell you something. Jesus never said, I'm going to give you potential. He said, I'm going to give you power. Listen to me, church. He never said, I'm giving you potential. He said, I'm giving you power. There should be power in everything that we do. There should be power in our sermons, power in our praise. There should be power in our mercy. There should be power in our giving. There should be power in our alms. There should be power in our healing. There should be power in our deliverance. The church of Jesus is not about potential. It's about power. Where's your power level today? church of Jesus is about power. There should be power in our prayer. Power when we kneel before the Lord. Power when we worship. There should be power when we shout unto God. There should be power when we lay hands on the sick. There should be power when we lay hands and impart the anointing of Jesus. There should be power in our reading of the scripture. There's not just potential. There's power. There should be power in your marriage, power with your children. When you lay hands on your kids, there should be power. When your kids are battling nightmares, there should be power when you pray. When they're at school and you lay on their bed and you intercede, there should be power. Whoa! This is an outpouring is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. There's something to see and something to hear. And there's dynamite. And it's not God's problem when we don't have it. It's not his problem. Yes, do I believe that there are sovereign moves of God? Absolutely. And I believe he is, he is about to move. I don't know when. Is it three years? Is it five years? Is it two months? I don't know. But I want to be the same yesterday, today, and I want to continue being the same until I experience it. I'm not going to give up because I don't see it. So yes, I believe in a sovereign move of God that wants to sweep across the earth, not just America. And he's doing it. And we're going to receive it. This, this what, what some call a third great awakening or a third reformation, a third wave of the Lord. And yes, I want to see it. But, but what are we doing today about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? There's continual visitations of Jesus. There's not just a second coming. There's a visitation of Jesus. Every time that we call upon his name, he appears. Where two or more gather, he's with us. When when a prophet says, there was a witch in the building, and they left the building. Why? Because we prayed, and there was power that was released. We didn't have to talk to them. We didn't have to escort them out. They knew that the assignment couldn't be fulfilled. 
The gates of hell will not prevail, but it doesn't mean they will not try next week. So when you come to church, are you coming in power? If you sit next to a witch, are they going to feel so uncomfortable that you have to get the exit sign? Where's the exit? Where's the exit? Are you just waiting on good worship and good music to somehow think that that's what gets you the presence of God? You can make a joyful noise and God shows up. I don't particularly like tambourines, but God does. I don't really want tambourines in the church, but God does. Unless it's a really good people person playing it. You have a tambourine up there, Sam? Yeah, I like that. I like it. But God can show up with a chorus of tambourines. He doesn't need great vocal harmony. I love good vocal harmony. And I believe there should be excellence. And in the scripture, there were skilled musicians that played. Absolutely. But if you're waiting on skilled musicians to get you in the presence of God, then there is a problem. And it's okay to be like this where you have a preacher that stirs you up and then you, then you get baptized and you repent and you get in the church, you join the church. But you can't just rely on a great preacher every Sunday. You can't just be looking for your great preacher on YouTube to somehow encourage you to get going because they're eloquent with their words. When Paul shows up, he says, I don't even have, I'm a smart guy, but I don't have eloquent words. I'm coming to you with the power of God. He comes with power. That's what he does. He comes with power. Oh. I'm telling you what, we live in a cancel culture. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You cannot cancel the Holy Spirit. I don't care what a government says, what a school district says you, you can and can't do. I don't care what a health care bill says you can and can't do. I don't care what a Supreme Court. You know, there is a Supreme Court, and it's not the Supreme Court. There's a Supreme Court of heaven. You cannot cancel the Holy Spirit. But here's what you can't. So the world can't cancel the Holy Spirit, but the church can quench him. The world cannot stop a move of God. Let me tell you something. Stop getting all, all worried about what Congress is doing. They can't stop a move of God. They can't stop it. When God moves, he moves. When he shows up, he shows up. When there's a pillar of fire in the room, no government can stop it. No military can stop it. You can't stop a move of God. But his people can quench a move. This is the problem. It's not the world. It's the church. I know I'm yelling a lot today, so I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I promise you, I could laugh and cry at the same time right now. But I feel an unction and a mandate because we're so worried about the world, but we're not worried about quenching him as the church, telling him how he needs to move. And mocking him when he does. So I said there were four things. There's six things we learn about in Acts. There's probably more. I'm still studying, so maybe there's more. But, but here in Acts 2, I'm going to read you a portion of Scripture. And I'm going to close. And then we're going to pray. There are four elements mentioned that are critical aspects of a New Testament church. Not one-time things, continual things. In other words, you're not a church unless you have these things. And they're listed here at the end of the first sermon. Now, mind you, this experience went on from 9 a.m. till sunset. That's a long day. So in verse 42, this is a result. 3,000 3, people join the church. They got to figure out how to do this. They got to figure out what the church looks like. And in verse 42, all the believers 
devoted themselves. How many? All. There were no division among them. Every one of the new members of the church, not just the old members like the apostles, but the new members, everyone did these things. All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And then it goes on in verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miracles and, and, and wonders and the believers met together and, 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 and they continued to do this. And then at the end of verse 47, it says, all while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people and each day, each day, each day, the Lord added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. That means in order for the church to grow and for salvation to come, they had to do these things. And this word saved here doesn't just mean dying and going to heaven. The salvation of Jesus Christ is salvation, healing, and deliverance. Those three things are in the package. So what are these items now, we learn later in Acts, and even in this portion of Scripture, we learn that there's two other items. There's worship and there's missions. But these four elemental, critical aspects of the church, the first thing was apostolic teaching. It was grounding them. It was challenging them. It was putting them into alignment. They devoted themselves every day to apostolic teaching. It's important the word that you receive. It's important that that word is in alignment with the gifts of the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. It's important that we stay in alignment to receive his word. So they did apostolic teaching. The next thing they did was fellowship. They were together. They, they weren't apart they weren't saying, I got saved, I have my own little personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm just going to stay home. There's something about the ecclesia, there's something about people coming together, whether it's hundreds or thousands. And yes, we love our online congregation, but let me tell you something, if you're in Columbus, Ohio, please come here, come be with us, or be a part of another church. Don't just do church at home. Fellowship is an important aspect of the New Testament church. That means physically being together. Communion. They fellowship, they broke meals, and they did not forsake the Lord's Supper, and they took communion every day. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, we could preach on this for, for several sermons. This is how critical and vital it is. Every week, we have communion set up for you to participate in. It's over in that back corner in the ministry. And you can come in before you worship. You can do it while I'm preaching. You can do it at the end of the sermon. But please come and receive the elements. Yes, we do it together as well. But this is important. Communion was as important as apostolic teaching, as important as fellowship, and as important as the next thing, which is prayer. If you leave one of these things out, you're damaging the whole. And they gathered together in prayer. And like I said, we learned that they gather for worship and they gather for missions. And they, they extend the kingdom that way through missions. But every church... You can't, you can't expect revival if you're not participating in this. This is the way the church is built. The church is built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. God has an order. He has elements that he likes. And as we embrace them, as we dive into them and we say, yes, Jesus, I don't particularly like that one, but I'm going to do it because it's part of your church. Then we can see we can see revival. Then we can participate. We receive preaching and shouting and music and all these things. But it's important that we pray. It's important that we gather. Would you stand, please? Now, I'll just tell you what we're about to do so that we're prepared. We're going to pray. 
that was, that's the next thing. I'm going to challenge you with something, then we're going to pray. But we also need to receive an offering as part of our worship, and we're going to get there. We have a few important announcements to tell you about next week and about some things going on. So, so please don't leave too early just yet. We're not going to keep you all day, but, but we are going to respond to the word of God. When Peter preached, they responded to the sermon. There's an important element about saying yes to whatever God is saying. And I believe that as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to learn how to steward an outpouring. And then we're going to see God continue to pour out and pour out. And we're going to steward it again and again. And he's going to continue pouring out because it's not a one-time thing. So we're going to learn. It's going to be beautiful because the greatest teacher is Holy Spirit himself. So here's how I'd like us to respond to this. In a moment, we're going to pray. But I'm going to ask you, you don't have to do it yet. I'm going to ask you to step out, to take a step. There's a few different ways you can do this because I know we're in aisles and rows. You could just step out like this. Or if you're closer to an aisle, you can get in the aisle and you can step forward. Just don't step backwards. That doesn't fit the, uh, the prophetic symbol. But many of you need to step up to what we call the altar. This is the, this area here is the altar. It's the only carpeted part of the building too. But, but if you can picture an altar where you come and you kneel and you present yourself to the Lord, like pictured throughout the scripture, some of you, your stepping out is stepping into the altar and saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my body. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my gifts. I'm giving you whatever. So I'm not going to coerce you into any one of these, but I do ask that if you want to be a part of stewarding and outpouring, whether it's next month or three years from now, we're going to continue to get better and better and better at it. We're going to continue to please the Lord. We're not going to quench Holy Spirit. We're going to welcome Holy Spirit. So if you would like to be that kind of member of the body of Christ, go ahead right now. Just step out. Just make a step.